let me share some of the responses that I found particularly interesting. Well, the first person said that you, you won't be able to see the numbers, but they wanted to give or spend $70,000 on themselves for their personal enjoyment and $5,000 on giving. And their reason for that is, I think this leads to a beneficial church giving without sacrificing too much. That's fine. I suspect the, the thinking behind that is that they've worked hard for their money, and so this is their own money. Giving away some money then is a sacrifice because they've worked hard for it, it's their own. A second person said they wanted to spend $10,000 on themselves and sixty-five on giving. They said, being generous is great, and I think it's good to enjoy blessings from God, like fun, rest, and so on, too, I think. And I think the thinking behind this is that, yes, they recognize that there are great things that come from being generous. At, at the same time, God gives us things to enjoy, and it's not bad to spend money on ourselves and enjoy things from God. A third person wanted to spend $60,000 on themselves and fifteen on giving. This person said, it's too easy to get carried away with spending. <laughs> and for lots of people, that's definitely true. Our world is telling us, you need to spend money on this, on that. It's very easy to get carried away with spending. And, and as we get a larger and larger salary as time progresses as well, our spending increases. As the salary increases, often our spending does increase. And the final response that I wanted to share with you uh, this person wanted to spend 50, uh, sorry, 20,000 on personal enjoyment and 65, oh, sorry, 55 on giving. Okay? And they said, I would spend money on entertainment, travel, lots of food outings, and a car. Apart from that, there's nothing else I could think of wanting. I found this one particularly interesting because for this person, it seems like they figured out what they need to be content. For their contentment, they want entertainment, travel, food outings, and a car. They realize what they need to be content, and so the rest of their money can be given away. I suspect that's the thinking behind that. And I thought it was particularly interesting because it reminded me of a wise and godly person who once said that if he had food and clothing, he would be content. Not entertainment, travel, lots of food outings, and a car. He said if he had food and clothing, he would be content. Well, today I'm going to be talking about this topic of money. I'm going to be splitting it up into three main sections, okay? The first is on contentment. And I want to start off with contentment because how we think about our own contentment then affects how we spend our money. I will then go on to the good fight and riches. I'll explain why I titled those this way uh, soon. But all of this will be guided from a passage. And that's 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 19. I'm going to be referring to this passage quite a bit throughout this talk, so let's grab out our Bibles and I'll read that for us. 1 Timothy 6, 6-19. While you're finding that passage, I'll quickly explain the background of this passage. There's Paul and he's speaking to Timothy. Paul is an older Christian leader giving advice to Timothy, a younger Christian leader, about how to lead a church. He's telling Timothy to teach the truth, to live a godly life and to be an example before all the others. He's telling Timothy to turn away from Paul's teaching. Paul is giving advice to Timothy, an older Christian leader to a younger Christian leader. So let's turn to 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 19, 
Let me read that for us. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of that of the life that is truly life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for how it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. Father, we pray today that as we go through your word, that you can help us to understand it clearly. Help me to speak clearly. Help all of us to listen with open hearts. We pray that you will be working your spirit in us, and that we may be transformed by your word, and that we will live, live for you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, you may have recognized when I was talking about this godly and wise man, well, I was actually referring to Paul. It's in verse 8. And I wonder whether we could say verse 8 for ourselves. Let me read that out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's very difficult in our society because our media tells us we need all these other things. This widescreen TV would, would make you happy. You need this scarf because it will make you look so cool. Our media, our society tells us we need all these things to be content. Well, Paul isn't simply saying, are you content? He's telling us the value of godliness with contentment. And he explains that in verses 6 and 7. Let me read verses 6 and 7 for us. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain, and it's great gain because of two reasons. The first reason is what's in verse 7. That is, we're born, and we're born with nothing. We have no physical goods, and we're all going to die, and nothing we have will be able to take with us. We come into the world with nothing, and we're going to leave this world with no physical things as well. That is one reason why godliness with contentment is great gain. The other reason is in verses 9 and 10, and I suspect it's a, it feels like a more negative reason, but it's very important to read as well. So let me read verses 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, let me reinforce the fact that money itself isn't inherently good or bad. People have often misquoted this passage and say that money is the root of all evil. You'll see that that's not what the Bible says. It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So, let me emphasize, money itself isn't good or bad, but it's the love of money that's terrible. And it's terrible because it leads us into a big danger of wandering and a big danger of of idolatry. Now, that might make sense uh, in an abstract way, but let let me see if I can get a bit real with that, with an example. And so, I have something in my pocket. It's a $100 note. And I want to ask you, do you want it? Do you want it? Well, what if I said, I'd give it to you if you did me a favor? And that favor was for the next week, not to read the Bible and not to go to church. Would you do it? (laughs) Yeah, if I said to you um, that I'd give you $100 if you didn't read the Bible and didn't go to church next week, would you do it? Maybe yes, maybe no. Yeah. Let, let me emphasize that I do want you to read the Bible. I do want you to come to church. They're, they're really good things. So keep reading the Bible. Keep coming back to church. But in a somewhat similar way, that's what the love of money does. It calls out to us. It calls out to us to put money above God. And in doing so, that could lead to many bad things. It calls out to us to cut down on time at church in our quiet times so that, for example, we might spend more time at work working really hard so that we can get a better salary. The love of money calls out to us to lie on our tax return so that we could get more money, to deliberately do what is wrong in the sight of God so that we have more for ourselves. The love of money calls out to us to spend solely on ourselves rather than to give to those in need. So that's why the love of money is so terrible. You'll see in verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we've seen it. We can see it around us, how the love of money does lead to so much evil. The other result of this love of money is in verse 9. It leads people into ruin and destruction. You may have seen that in the short term with people who struggle with gambling. They've gambled away so much of what they have, they've plunged themselves into ruin and destruction by, yeah, basically losing so much of their money and possessions, and they've hurt their relationships both with God and with other people. But it's also true of the long term as well. It's true in light of eternity because those who do love money often start pursuing money instead of pursuing God. They stop going to church, they stop reading the Bible, they stop calling on Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they reach a point when they, they don't have faith. They, these people, in the long term, are plunged into ruin and destruction as well because they spend eternity separated from God. Those who don't trust Jesus spend eternity in ruin and destruction. And so, I want to ask you one of the hard questions, but it's an important question. And that question is, what do you love? 
see, a big idol among wealthy Christians, Christians in Sydney, is money. And money can be representative of many things of this world as well. Perhaps you might say, I don't love money, but you might have an idol in things of this world too. And so I want to ask, do you love or do you idolize cars? Do you idolize travel and holidays? Do you idolize games, fine dining, expensive clothes? There are so many things we might idolize that we may put above God. And I want to re-emphasize the point, these things, they're good, okay? They're fine to enjoy, they're good gifts from God. The problem is when we put them above God, when we are led to all kinds of evil and to ruin and destruction. Now, Paul is telling Timothy to flee this love of money, to flee all of this evil and instead to pursue good things and to fight the good fight. And so, we're going to go to the next paragraph in our section, verses 11 to 16. Let me read that for us. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honor and might forever. Amen. The Christian life is about fleeing and pursuing. It's about fleeing this love of money, this love of what's in the world, and pursuing what is right. That is, in verse 11, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, that's tricky because we have different voices telling us to love different things. Our society, our non-Christian friends and family will tell us that you need these things to be happy, that you should be pursuing these things. God and His people and His Word will tell us instead to pursue Him and righteousness and so many good things that come from God. And that's part of why it's a fight. It's a good fight of the faith in verse 12. It's a fight because well, we need to be giving up temptations. It's a fight because we have people around us who tell us what they believe is right when it's not actually right in the sight of God. It's a fight because there are people who who may have not explored the truth of Christianity themselves and seen that it really does make sense and it is true, and they make fun of you because of it. Verse 12 tells us to fight the good fight of the faith. So that's something we really need to do. We are to stand firm and to fight this good fight of the faith. How is it that we stand firm and fight the good fight? I suspect you already know it. How do we stand firm? It's through regular time in the Bible, regular time praying to our God. It's through meeting with God's people in Bible study, at church. I'm really encouraged to see all of you here at church. If you're not part of a Bible study and you haven't been regularly part of a Bible study, They're going to be starting up at this church really soon. And so I encourage you, if you're not part of one yet, chat to Joe or one of the leaders here. They'd be so happy to put you in a Bible study. How do we fight the good fight? It's through reading the Bible, praying regularly, meeting with God's people. 
And fighting the good fight then leads to taking hold of the eternal life. It's again what's in verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Fighting the good fight leads to eternal life, and this eternal life is the eternal life that comes to those who have faith in Jesus and live for Him. Eternal life comes to those who have faith in Jesus and live for Him. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's that... Now, well, the Bible tells us that every single person has turned away from God, every single person has done what is wrong and decided to live lives their own way. And because of that, every single person is deserving of death and judgment. Every single person is deserving of eternity separated from God. That's not eternal life. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus lived the perfect life. He never did anything wrong. And yet He died on the cross... He took our punishment. He died on the cross so that we uh, could get away from that punishment. He took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to take that punishment instead. And so it's through trusting in Jesus and living for Him that people will have eternal life. Praise God for Jesus. Now, some of us might not be able to confidently say that we have eternal life. And so if you're someone like that, well, what I want to say to you is that I'm, I'm quite thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here with us, reading God's Word and hearing it taught. I want to encourage you to continue coming back to church, continue reading the Bible, keep asking that God would reveal Himself to you. And I hope and pray that one day you will trust in Jesus and have this eternal life. Keep coming back to church, keep reading the Bible. If you're someone who can't confidently say that they have eternal life, then The big thing that I want you to take away from this talk is to keep coming back to church, keep reading the Bible, keep exploring. I hope and pray that one day you will trust in Jesus and live for Him. If you are someone who can confidently say that you have eternal life, then what does this mean for us? Well, you'll see that it's an ongoing process. It's a fight. Being a Christian isn't simply saying Jesus is Lord and then doing whatever you want. Rather, it's an ongoing process. We keep fighting the good fight of the faith until Jesus returns. That's what's happening in verse 13 to 16. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honour and might forever. Amen. It's a fight that we must continue fighting. And so for the Christian, we are to continue fighting this good fight until Jesus returns. I think that's applicable for all of us, and in our next section on riches, well, it's directed to those who are rich, and for some of us, we'll think, well, that's not for me, I'm not rich, it's for those other rich people here at this church. I want to ask you, are you rich? And I want to say that it can be an unhelpful comparison when we simply look around us and our society to determine whether we're rich. Because when the rich look at other rich people and those richer than them, they stop appreciating what they have and they forget they are rich. When we compare ourselves to the world, well, a 
was looking up some stats this morning, actually, and the median salary for someone is actually around 10K a year. And so for, I think, most of us, we are above the median salary. I looked at some more stats, and they say the top 1% of people have a salary above 32.4K. And so for so many of us, we are in the top 1%. Sydney Christians are incredibly rich. So this passage, verses 17 to 19, is so incredibly important for us. Now, being rich, it's not a bad thing. The word rich, or something related to rich, is actually used three or four times in this passage, and most of those times it's used positively. It's used to describe God's provision. But let me read the first part of verse 17 for us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. How is it that being rich leads someone to being arrogant? Well, I suspect it's because earning a salary yourself can make you arrogant. It's perhaps you've worked really hard, you've negotiated a great salary, you found a great job through Indeed. All these things, they might be true, um, and you definitely do have responsibility in your own life. You definitely do have great responsibility in your own life, but all of this fits under God's provision. And that's what's happening in the second part of verse 12. To put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You've worked hard for your salary, you've done really good things, and you've been rewarded for it. That's fantastic. And all that fits under God's provision. He is the sovereign God who gives these things for us. And so when we talked about um, money, cars, clothes, travel, and so much things of this world, I think this is how we should understand those things. That is, they're good things for us to enjoy, but we shouldn't love them, and instead, we should see that they're good gifts from God. We can stop loving money by appreciating that they are good things for our enjoyment, but they all come from God Himself. He is the one who richly provides. The other part of verse 17 is that the rich are not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. For those of us who follow the share market or just know about the share market, you'll know that stocks fluctuate quite a lot. Riches are uncertain. More recently, with the bushfires, people have really felt the statement when they've seen their homes, their property, their possessions, there one day and then gone the next. Riches in this world are so uncertain. But we can be confident because we know the God who is certain. God is sovereign, He is good, He is unchanging as we sang before. He is the one that we can be confident in and have our hope in. He is the one who does provide us with everything for our enjoyment. And so, what are we to do with that? Well, it's in verse 18. This is a command to the rich. And the rich, that's us as well, are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And being rich, it's not a bad thing. Rather, it gives you great opportunity to do good. If you are rich, you have great opportunity to do good. Being rich allows you to give to those in need physical need and spiritual need. It allows you to support missionaries. I think this church supports Mimi and Didion in Cambodia, supporting those who are sharing the gospel with those in Cambodia who don't know it or don't trust it yet. 
they're doing great work over there, and I'm thankful that this church is partnering in God's kingdom by supporting Mimi and Dizzy. Being rich allows you to give to church. And so, um, I'm actually quite encouraged that many of us here are being rich in good works and being generous. I'm friends with quite a few of you, and I've, I've talked to you about quite a lot of things. I'm encouraged that you have been generous with what you have. When I was talking to Joe about this topic and I was sharing about how I'd be talking about money and generosity and 1 Timothy 6, he shared about how he has been encouraged that lots of people here have been generous. And so I want to say thank you for that. You're doing what is right. You're working with God and with His people to support God's kingdom. Thank you for being part of God's plan. Now, for all of us, well, we could still practically think about what it means to be rich in good works and to be generous. So, let me give you some practical tips. The first one is to look at where you're spending your money. When you look at where you're spending your money, you'll see what you love. See, if you're spending all this money on cars, it's possible that you're loving cars and idolizing cars. If you're spending all this money on fine clothing, it's possible that you're idolizing fine clothing above God. If you see instead that you're spending all this money on giving, perhaps you see that you are rightfully loving God and His people and giving there. Another thing I want to say is to have a budget. If you have a budget, well, that helps you to see where you're spending your money, but it also helps you to plan as to how you can spend your money well. I personally have a budget, and so when people ask me if I'd consider supporting them in certain things, because I have a budget, I know whether I can say yes or no to that. I know how much I could be giving. Having a budget helps you to be clear and wise with your generosity. Now, I encourage you to think about where you could be giving. Some suggestions are church. What happens in this church doesn't magically happen. Money is required for the church building, for resources, for staff. I encourage you to give to missionaries, missionaries like Mimi and Didi, people who are serving the gospel full-time, who are spending their time sharing this gospel with people, that people will be saved. I trust that you care that people are saved. And so we could be generous in giving our money so that many more will come to know the true gospel. We can be generous to those in physical need. The recent bushfires have ravaged Australia, and there are many who have really lost their homes and lost so much in their lives. We could give, for example, to the bushfire appeal. But I'm sure that there are so many different ways that we could be giving. I'm sure that you've thought about it, and I encourage you to continue thinking about it and praying about it so that you may be wise with how you spend your money. And I want to emphasize that salvation isn't about your works, or about how you spend your money. Salvation comes from having a true faith, a true faith on Jesus who died on the cross for us and rose again. And this true faith then leads to good works, but it's not the works themselves that lead to salvation. It's the faith that leads to salvation, faith that results in our good works. Which is why Paul can say, verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Those, have a, those who have a genuine faith are going to be living it out. 
They're going to be generous and willing to share. They're going to be doing good, being rich in good works. And because they have a genuine faith, well, they've taken hold of that which is truly life, this eternal life with God. And so I want to end by talking about a friend of mine. He's a really godly man, um, and he's very rich as well. His name is Simon, not our Simon, unfortunately, but that's his name, Simon. Um, He works in private equity, and he's one of the richest guys I know, perhaps my richest friend. And this Simon, well, looking up in our three general categories, he's someone who's content. He's not content because he has heaps of money. It's true that he has heaps of money, but he's content because he knows that he's right before God. Even if all his money was taken away, even if he did lose his property, he's content because his relationship with God has been made right because of Jesus. He's someone who fights the good fight. He recognizes that being a Christian is an ongoing process, and so he reads his Bible every day, he prays daily, he makes sure that he continues meeting with God's people so that he may be encouraged and so that he may encourage others. He fights this good fight. He's someone who is rich, not just in a financial sense, but he's rich in his good works. He genuinely seeks the good of others. He's someone who gives generously so that people would hear the gospel, so that those in physical need could be provided for. Because of his generosity, I think many people have come to know Christ. Many people have grown in their faith. And so he's a great encouragement to me, and he's a great encouragement to many around him as well. And so I pray that he and I and all of us can be someone who does, uh, who is content because of what God has given us, who is fighting the good fight, and who is rich in good works as well. Let me pray for that right now for us. Heavenly Father, thanks so much uh, for how you are a God who richly provides. Thanks so much for how you've provided for us ultimately in your Son, Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. Thanks that because of Him, we can be content that we have our relationship with you reconciled. Father, help us to be content in this world, even when it may be so tricky to, when our world is telling us that we need to find our contentment in so many other things. Help us not to love the things of this world, but to love in you instead and to pursue you above all else. Help us to fight this good fight of the faith. Father, help us to be rich in good works. Help us to be generous um, in a way that reflects uh, yeah, how you've called us to be your people. Father, we pray that you'll be working through our hearts and through our minds and through our, our actions and our money, that your name would be glorified, that many would come to know your Son as Lord and Saviour, and that many would mature in him. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.